Hello and welcome to 15-Minute Medicine, where we make medicine as simple as possible, but not simpler than that. I'm one of your co-hosts, Efoso Ahanba, but today, unfortunately, I'm not joined by my co-host, Farai Chigumadzi, as he's in the UK at the moment doing big things at Oxford University. He's doing a short course in global surgery, but he'll be sure to tell us more about it when he gets back. Today, I'll be having a discussion around a case I encountered in the ward recently of thrombotic thrombocytopenic purpura, otherwise known as TTP. In this episode, I'll give a brief overview of the case I encountered, give a quick approach to thrombocytopenia, as well as describe TTP and its pathogenesis, clinical features, and treatment. As the name of this podcast suggests, this discussion will be in 15 minutes or less. And if you pay attention to a motto, I'm going to try to keep things simple. So let's get a move on. As some people would say, time is money, and others would say, time is brain, or time is myocardium. So swiftly moving along, our case is on a 30-year-old female, previously well, but newly diagnosed with HIV and has been on treatment for one month. She has a CD4 count of 13. She came into casualty complaining of fatigue, malaise, and she was noted to have a heavy period in the preceding week, as well as a few episodes of bleeding from her gums. On clinical examination, her vitals were stable, except for a tachycardia of 110. She was pale, and on systemic examination, it was noted that she had an ejection systolic murmur, 2 out of 6 in grading. The rest of her systems were normal. On initial blood tests, it was noted her HB was 5.5, and her platelets were 13. She was sent up to the medical wards for further workup. On further investigation, her peripheral blood smear showed that she had significant red cell fragmentation as well as a raised LDH on her bloods of 879, which was markedly raised. This was indicative this patient was hemolyzing and more indicative of a microangiopathic hemolytic anemia, as indicated by her, also her low HB. Top life-threatening causes of a microangiopathic hemolytic anemia include disseminated intravascular coagulopathy, DIC, hemolytic uremic syndrome, and the case we're discussing today, TTP. The patient had no history of sepsis, no history of trauma, no recent surgery, and her INR was 1.02, which kind of put DIC lower down on the list. Hemolytic uremic syndrome is occurs more commonly in children, although it can occur in adults. So at this stage, a working diagnosis of TTP was made, and the patient was started on plasma exchange, as well as adjunctive steroid therapy. Plasma exchange was continued for five days, and the patient was discharged 10 days after presenting, with a platelet count of 255 and clinically stable. I'm now going to give a quick approach to thrombocytopenia. This can be broken down into either caused by increased sequestration by the spleen, decreased production, or increased destruction of the platelets. Under increased sequestration by the spleen, usually caused by splenomegaly of various causes, so either infection, infiltration, congestive splenomegaly, malignancy, red cell disorders, as well as storage diseases. With regards to decreased production, you may be looking for bone marrow infiltration secondary to TB, which is quite common in South Africa, and given this patient's HIV status, it may be a possibility. 
You may also have hematological malignancies such as leukemia and lymphoma as a cause, myelodysplastic syndromes, as well as aplasia. With regards to increased destruction of platelets, one would also have to look at drugs again, but they can also break it down into immune and non-immune causes. Under immune causes, one would have to consider ITP, SLE, as well as drugs, infections, and alloimmune conditions. Under non-immune, one would have to consider sepsis, DIC, TTP, and HUS, as mentioned earlier, as well as hypertensive disorders of pregnancy, and namely a complication of preeclampsia, namely HELP syndrome, which is hemolysis, elevated liver enzymes, and low platelets. So what is TTP? Thrombotic thrombocytopenic purpura. It's a blood disorder characterized by formation of thromboses in the small vessels of the body, resulting in a severe thrombocytopenia. It is an extremely rare condition with a reported prevalence of 10 per million and a reported incidence of one case per million per year. These figures and any other that I mention in this episode are quoted from a review article on TTP by Jolie et al. in the journal Blood, published in May 2017. Historically, the etiology of TTP was largely unknown, but is now associated with a deficiency of the protease ADAMTS13, which is a metalloprotease involved in the cleavage of von Willebrand's factor. If one can go back to med school and remember the coagulation cascade, von Willebrand's factor is very important in platelet aggregation. Now, if you have a deficiency in the enzyme that cleaves this molecule, you'll have a buildup of very large molecules of von Willebrand's factor, increasing the thrombogenicity of the patient, and thus increasing the thromboses in the small vessels. These thrombi damage red blood cells and break down red blood cells and result in the increased hemolysis of these red blood cells, leading to an elevated LDH, as well as anemia. A similar process also occurs in DIC and hemolytic uremic syndrome. This entity is a microangiopathic hemolytic anemia. TTP is characterized by a pentad of a microangiopathic hemolytic anemia, thrombocytopenic purpura, neurological fallout which could be altered mental status, hemiplegia, hemiparesis, seizures, as well as fever and renal dysfunction, usually characterized by a hematuria or proteinuria, but in some rare cases an acute kidney injury can also occur. It is reported, however, that less than 10% of cases actually present with the full pentad. The mainstay of treatment for TTP is plasma exchange. This is exchanging the patient's plasma with fresh frozen plasma. Initially, it would be 1.5 times the patient's plasma volume and then subsequently 1 times the patient's plasma volume until there is clinical improvement of the organ systems that are involved as well as a platelet count above 150 and evidence of decreasing hemolysis. And a complete response to treatment is evidenced by a platelet count above 150 for two consecutive days, as well as, as mentioned previously, the clinical improvement and evidence of decreasing hemolysis. Steroids can also be used as adjunctive therapy, and in resistant cases, a monoclonal antibody rituximab can also be used. This drug can also be used outside of the acute setting to prevent relapses. 
We are nearing the end of this episode, but before I do that, I'd just like to discuss a few points related to the case, as well as TTP as a whole. I didn't mention earlier, but an Adam TS13 level was pulled for the patient to check if she had a deficiency and would thus confirm the diagnosis basically 100%, but unfortunately due to a lab technicality we were unable to get the result, but based on her response to treatment as well as the exclusion of other major causes, a final diagnosis of TCP can be made for this patient. I also wanted to use this case as an example of where one always needs to have a high index of suspicion for the very severe life-threatening disorders. TTP is a very life-threatening condition and has a very high mortality if untreated. Thus, even though it's very rare, it's still important to think about it. It's important to think about such things because if you don't think about it, you won't look for it. And thankfully for this patient, someone early in their hospital stay decided, hey, this patient might be hemolyzing. Let's do a smear and an LDH. Maybe they have TTP. And the diagnosis was deemed extremely likely. Early treatment was initiated and the patient had a good outcome. Another part about the case which I found interesting was the fact that throughout her entire admission, she was clinically stable. No need for a high care setting or ICU bed. She was essentially, her plasma exchange occurred in the general ward. And she did very well otherwise, which is also one of those things like such a serious and life-threatening condition. And the patient was essentially much better than a lot of the other patients in the ward with much less life-threatening conditions. Simultaneously during her workup, an autoimmune screen, blood cultures, TB cultures, as well as a urinary lamb was also done. This was all done to exclude the more common things we may see in our practice. And I think to sum it up into one single take-home message, when a patient presents to you with a clinical problem, always exclude the most life-threatening and rapidly life-threatening conditions, and at the same time, the more common conditions. So always think about, as rare as it may be, think about what will kill the patient super fast, as well as what may kill the patient, even if you intervene, but you don't intervene early enough. And then at the same time, think about obviously the more common conditions that may cause the clinical problem. And now that brings us to the end of this episode on TTP. I hope you learned a lot. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to do some further reading, we'll provide the link to the journal article quoted earlier in this episode, as well as other sources on TTP in our social media pages. You can follow us on Instagram at 15 Minute Medicine, all one word, no space or on Twitter at medicine underscore minute, or you can search us on Facebook, 15 Minute Medicine. Comment, like, and let us know what your thoughts are. Let us know about any other topics you'd like us to discuss in the future. I'm sure by the next time you hear from 15 Minute Medicine, I'll be joined by Farai, my co-host. Miss you, my man. And then we'll try and continue to make medicine as simple as possible, but not simpler than that.